Worship will motivate our priorities. We'll worship, we'll, we'll motivate what we serve. It will motivate our giving and it will reflect what is most important in our lives. And there are lots of things that fight for priority in our lives. Our work, our career, our education, money, all sorts of things will fight and jostle to be worshipped above Jesus. Whereas we are called to worship him. Jesus needs to be placed at the centre of our lives, not just bolted on on a Sunday. <laughs> Worship. Oh. I've done a few funerals in my time, and I've been told I do a nice funeral. Trouble is, none of the recipients have ever appreciated it, but, uh, but the families have. And, and you know what? It's a great time to minister to people. And I've done some weird ones. One of them, um, most of the funerals I do, it's people that I know, you know, through relationship. But sometimes you get called by a, 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 an undertaker to come and do one of a person that you have no idea who they are. And you get to meet the family. It's a good, good opportunity. And I remember there was this one funeral I did. And this folk, this fellow, it's a good job Bob's not here. He'd be convulsing on the floor when I say that. He was a Chelsea supporter. Now, I mean a Chelsea supporter. And it was the weirdest funeral I, I'd ever done. I, I tell you what happened, very briefly. I had to meet the family at the crematorium, which is normal. But they, in their posh cars, had just gone to Stamford Bridge for a champagne breakfast with him in the coffin. Yeah, yeah, well, the, the car went there. Yeah, yeah, the whole lot, the whole entourage went to Chelsea Football Club when I had a, and, and he had a champagne, he didn't, he was dead, but, but the, the, the rest of the family did. And then I'm waiting at the, the jolly uh, crematorium, yeah, and these cars all turn up, and in the back there's this coffin draped in a Chelsea flag. And I think, when you actually do the kind of, at the end of it all, the, the, the closing hymn was, Blue is the colour, football is the game, we're all together and winning is our aim. Hear our sun in the sun and rain, cause Chelsea, Chelsea is a, what a load of rubbish! Now, I'm not accusing that man of worshipping Chelsea, but do you know what? From the priorities that were there at his funeral, and I'm partial to Crystal Palace, but please, when I die, don't put a Crystal Palace flag over me. Let's talk about Jesus when I die. And, and let's talk, pardon? And no, you can have champagne if you want, I don't care. But I want to talk about Jesus in life. I want to worship Jesus in life and I want to worship him after I die. That's what it's about. You see, we, I like what Larry said about my dad as he's preparing for the next promotion in his life. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If to live is anything other than Jesus, 
To die is loss. Actually, but to live for him. You know, we are called to worship, and worship is a privilege. Worship is bound up in relationship, in a walk, to know God. Abraham, throughout his life, became his friend. He became the friend of God. God came to him, promised him things, fulfilled things, came to know him. He walked with God, and through his life, he saw wonderful things happen. He knew God and walk with him. He worshipped him. What a privilege it is that we can worship. We can come here freely and do our worship thing, but we are free to worship him every day of our lives. And that's what it's about. It's a privilege. Worship is a privilege, but the day came for Abraham, as we read here, when worship became a challenge. Oh boy, what a challenge. Can I say that this act of worship that this walk that Abraham had came, became the most traumatic event and moment in his life. Because God came to him and said, you know your son, your son, your only son, the son that you love, I want you to take him out Put him on an altar, kill him and burn him. Is that okay? It's not okay. But if God said it, and Abraham heard it, that's what he, you know, child sacrifice wasn't unknown in those days. It wasn't. But it's what God called Abraham to do. Now that's awful. It's awful. It's scandalous. It is indeed. Outrageous. But I've read it. It ends well, all right? It's okay. It's okay. It's all right, Roberto. You're safe, mate. I, I just. <laughs> his mum's giving him a hug. Don't worry, dear. I will look after you. <laughs> you are all safe. Right. Looking at that reading that we can, in verse 1, we see that God tested Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. You know, God tested him. There are times in our lives when God will test us or allow us to be tested. If, who's ever flown an aeroplane? Yeah, of course you have. Do you know, when you fly an aeroplane, I want you to know that it's all right, it's been tested. Mostly. It's, just, it's, it's pretty darn good, you know. It's, it wasn't just sort of bolted together in a factory, get in that and fly. No, it was tested, it was stress tested, it was all the stuff, the engines work all right and all the rest of it. And do you know something? If we're going to grow, if we're going to be fit for purpose in the kingdom of God, there are times going to come along where we need to be tested. Not to knock us down, but to help us to get stronger. There's a wonderful saying, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And that's true. It's true. And, and you know what, we're talking, you know, I was touched really sharing, Rachel sharing about the trials that we're going through, but there are some verses in the Bible that you'd like to tip X out occasionally. That's a very oh, terrible thing to say, but it's, listen to this. And James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perverse, perseverance, fin- when perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. This was a huge test. And you know, in our daily lives, I guess most of our struggles, most of the challenges that come revolve around what we worship. Because we are given choices to do the right or to do the wrong. It was a tough situation. But tough situations aren't always there to kill us. They're there to be turned around so that we grow. Abraham was tested. And this is the bit that really gets me. Abraham responded. Verse 3. He says this. Early next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants, and when he cut enough wood, he set out to do what God had told him to do. I'm sure Abraham wasn't happy about this. But it doesn't tell us there that he procrastinated. It doesn't tell us there that he argued. That It doesn't tell him, I, you know, this is wrong, I'm not doing that. God, I'm going to run away and get swallowed up by a fish. That was another bloke. But he actually, he actually got up early, got prepared, and got to it. He went to do the outrageous thing that God had called him to do because he worshipped God above his son. That's the truth. He worshipped him. Because if he hadn't have worshipped him above his son, he would have said, get lost, God. That's my son. I'm not going to do that. It was an amazing example of obedience. He didn't argue. But he set out to the place God told him about. It says that, I love this bit here. It says this, that he set out for the place God told him about. Do you know what? I'm not going to break into song again. Oh, here's another one. Yeah, that's the other guy I was talking about. Yeah, There's, There is not a place fish. I don't mean a place. There's a place. <laughs> there is a place. There are places where God wants us to go. God has got vision for our lives. And he wants us to set out from where we are to a place in the spirit where he wants us to be. And we'll only do that if A, we worship him, B, we're obedient to him, and C, we do it. He set out for a place. Let's head out to the place in our lives that God has for us and that he's told us about. So Abraham responded, but then he obeyed. It says in verse 4 that as he went out and as he had the servants with him and had his son with him, it says that he, verse 4, he saw the place. He set out for the place and as he progressed, he saw the place. If you don't head out for the place, you'll never see the place. If you don't make progress, you'll never get to where God can actually show you where the action's going to happen. And so he got to the place, he saw it and there it was at a distance. 
And this is a real, real statement of faith. In verse 5, it says this. Stay here. I can see the place. Stay here with the donkey, he said to his servants. And I'll tell you why. He needed to do this alone. Because if he'd have gone with his two servants, they'd have said, what are you doing, Gov? No, well, I'm just about to do what God told me. I'm going to kill him. You can't. Now, do, you, do you think this is wise? Do you think this is sensible? You grab him and I'll pull him down. He's obviously lost it. What's your wife going to say? Yeah, all the rest of it. Do you know, sometimes we have to do things where we get the people of faith who don't have the faith out of the way so that God can speak to us clearly to do what he wants us to do. There's a story about when Jesus, when he went in to pray for somebody who died. All the people were saying, oh, yeah. they were, they were, they, they were um, making light of it and saying, don't be stupid and all the rest of it. And it says that he left them outside and he went in. And sometimes you've got to not listen to the voices around you but this is what he said. He left the servants behind and he said, look, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. They went to the place, they saw the place, and then they went to the place. He, he, got, he went to it. He saw it and he said, I'm going to go over there. And this is it. We, me and Isaac, will worship and then we will come back to you. He knew what he was going to do, but he had a faith that was above and beyond. In Hebrews it says that he, he, he counted that God was able to bring him back to life. He was willing to kill him, but he also believed God could bring him back to life. And I want you to know, boys, you're going to stay here with a donkey, be nice to him, he's a good animal. We're going to go over there and worship, but we will come back. But he obeyed. And it says that Isaac carried the wood. He was the victim. This is what's going to burn you up carry it. I've got the pot of fire, they carried fire in a pot, right, um, yeah, and he had a knife. So Abraham was the executor, Isaac was the victim, and so he carried the wood. And his son said to him, what's going on, dad? They set out to the place, and Isaac carried the wood. And then it says that they reached the place. So he put him on the altar, he tied him up, he held the knife up in the air, and God said to him, Abraham, yes, don't lay a finger upon your son, because now I know that you worship me. You did not withhold your son from me. A couple of weeks ago when Wes spoke really well about suffering, he said that God doesn't owe us anything. He's given us everything. Do you remember that song? You might know this one, Craig. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If yeah. And 
remember a friend of mine was leading the church and he used to sing, Blessed be the name of the When the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it would, should be, blessed be his name. But it's that little refrain. You give and take away. Ooh. You give and take away. And my pal, who was leading the church, got into trouble. The people didn't like that bit. So they didn't want to sing that bit. You give and take away. No, God just gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. Do you know something? You'll never know how much you love God until you worship him when he takes something away from you. Hey, look, what parent doesn't take stuff away from their kids? Well, you want to, you want to raise a blade? Dear, here it is. You want a bit of rat poison? Oh, look, yeah, yeah, I'll play with No, take it away. Rachel found a little blue pill on the ground here. So I've thrown it away. I think it's a sweet. But it's a little blue pill. Oh, perhaps Marla would like that. Give it to No, take it away. But I tell you something, when a child has something taken away, they cry. They don't like it. Well, we know better than that because if God takes away, it's there for a purpose. And God had blessed Abraham with a son after years and years and years and years. And Isaac was the answer to the promise that God had given to him. And so you can't possibly want me to do this, God. I'm not going to. Now, do you know what? He loved God more than God's provision of his answer. And sometimes we can love what God does for us and gives to us than than love him. We love what he does for us more than we love him. And so we worship what he does for us instead of worshipping him. And if we do that and we get that taken away, we stop, we get disillusioned with him, whereas we need to love him and trust him. You see, Isaac had his life in danger. Abraham was told to do something outrageous, but there was something in Abraham that trusted God more than what God told him to do. He couldn't understand what God told him to do, but he trusted him more than he trusted what he had to, what he'd been told. And we need to get to that place. And he reached the place, and then God provided. Oh, how many of us say God provides? Who's experienced God's provision? Do you know that that whole thing about God is our provider? It comes from here. It comes from worship. Worship that was abandoned abandoned to giving all to God. If we do things for ourselves and provide for ourselves, then God doesn't need to actually provide for us. Abraham could have said, I've heard you wrong, Lord. I'm going to take Isaac, but I'm going to take one of my goats along. He had loads of them. He could have done it. He provided. God didn't need to provide then. And we mustn't provide for ourselves at the expense of trusting in God, do you know? I'm not being impractical here. I'm, I believe it's right. And we've experienced through all of our lives how, by his grace, God has enabled us to know his provision. And we've done some pretty wacky, stupid things. And yet God has always been faithful. Our faith will be tested. And it's how that faith grows. It's how experience that we have in our lives will enable us to grow. And, and, and it's like that all the time. 
Abraham loved God more than God's provision. Your only son, the son that you love. So how does that apply to us? Well, the truth is this. We all worship something. It's how we're wired. But the thing is this. It's important what we worship, who we worship, and how we worship. In Psalm 115, have you noticed how strong God is about idolatry? He's like that because it's dangerous. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him, but their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they can't hear. Noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Because they're dead idols. But this is it. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. I don't want to have eyes that don't see, a nose that doesn't smell, ears that don't hear. I don't want to trust in the things that man makes. I want to trust in the living God. I want to trust in him. I don't want to be like the bad things. And do you know, have you noticed that if people worship power and money, they become obnoxious, greedy, nasty, usually mean people because they become like what they worship. If we worship Jesus, we become, by his grace, like him. When the apostles were before the religious leaders, these men could see that they had been with Jesus. I don't want us to turn out nasty. I want us to turn out like him. So we worship him. You see, true worship, when lived out in our lives, it reflects and it attracts. Can I say that Abraham was never the same man after that because he saw God's provision like he'd never seen it before. And can I tell you the other person who it had a huge effect upon was Isaac. He will never, ever have forgotten the moment when he saw that glinting knife above his head and the angel said, stop it. Phew, have you got some water, please? And do you know, <coughs> I'm nearly finished, but I'm nearly dried out as well. Thank you. Isaac learned how much his dad loved and valued God. I remember when our kids were small, somebody said to me once, I feel sorry for your kids. They knew us. No, no. no I said, why? He says, because, it's because I was a Christian, because I was a, a pastor, whatever. Because as they grow up, you're going to influence them. Really? What do parents do? 
Sorry, what do parents do? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to influence. What they were saying was you're going to turn them into religious nutters. You're going to make them like you. They're going to be weird like you. They're going to have to believe. They're going to have to be all whatever. No. Do you know what? I would rather lay my children on the altar of God than on the altar of greed, on the altar of success on the altar of education. I'd rather lay my children at God's altar. Do you know something? We don't do christenings in our church. We do dedications. And we dedicated our kids to the Lord. And by the grace of God, they love and serve Jesus today. Hallelujah. You know, remember Andrew standing here and saying, I'm going to go to Manchester. Do you know that cost him? It cost him. It cost us, actually, but it cost him. It cost our church. Of course it did. But we didn't lose him. We invested him. We invested them. You see, they were called to a place. And as they got near it, they saw that place. And they invested their lives in that place, and now God is using them in that place. And Andrew, I know he said this. And he said, you know, it costs me to think of my kids growing up with a Manchester accent. <laughs> you speak to Andrew. You haven't got a Manchester accent. If he was going to Hull, he'd have been des- delighted. But Matt, anyway. No, but, it's just, but do you know what? He's kept true. Talk about football again. He took the boys on a bus in Manchester in full Crystal Palace kit. I said, did anybody say anything? He says, no, but they really looked at them. <laughs> I thought, what is that? We've never seen one of those before. You know, worship brings change and is powerful. And just to say, when a woman at the well went to get a bucket of water and Jesus started to speak to her, she brought up the subject of worship. Well, you Jews say we should worship over there, but we Samaritans, we worship in a different place. And you know, Jesus looked at her and thought to himself, you don't know what you're talking about, girl. The kind of worship and worshippers that God is seeking are those who worship him in spirit and in truth, who invest their lives, who change society, who reflect and attract the life of Jesus as we live our lives, as we live our lives. And it does attract God's provision, as we've heard. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to come and sing on a Sunday morning. Oh, no, wait a minute, sorry, wrong verse. Is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and proper worship. Romans chapter 12. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Abraham took Isaac to this mountain in the region of Moriah. Long time ago. A long time after that, Mount Moriah was the place where the temple was built and where Jesus and where God was worshipped through the sacrifices of the animals. That's where it started. With Abraham 
taking his son to sacrifice there. Jesus, God's son, as a man, was given by his father because he so loved the world. And he was crucified. He came to this world and gave his body as a sacrifice, yes, and as worship to his Father, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And it, it struck me, you know, that when Jesus was crucified, he carried the wood. He carried the wood. He carried a cross. And he thought, I'm carrying this. This is what's going to kill me. But as he carried it, his father didn't say stop. His son said, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God the Father, I don't know what that really meant, but he looked away at that sin that was, took upon his whole body there so that through that grace we don't have to make any more sacrifices of animals, of people, or of anything. That's the outrageous, scandalous grace of God. He gave his all. Folks, if we're going to be followers, disciple of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, salvation is free. Forgiveness and grace is free. But the investment of our life costs everything. He's worth it. Bow our heads for a moment, shall we?